All right, well, again, good morning, Doxa Church. Guys, I want to invite you to grab your Bible and find your way to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. If you are newer to Doxa, I want to welcome you again. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you part of our, our family gathering today. You are actually uh, joining us in the midst of a pretty lengthy study that we're doing through the Gospel of Mark, where we're really just investigating the man who is God, Jesus Christ. And, and last week, if you were here, we, we kind of uh, rounded out chapter three of, of Mark's gospel where we saw Jesus kind of call together some of his first followers. He had some confrontations with the religious leaders of this time, and, and then he said some amazing, joyful, hopeful words about the family of God. And so what we're going to do today is rather than just jumping into chapter four, we're going to push pause, okay? And, and we're going to come back to chapter four after Easter, but we're going to be in chapter 11 as it specifically relates to our day today, okay? So if you've grown up in the church or around Christianity, you, chances are you know what Palm Sunday is all about, but today is actually Palm Sunday, and for those of you who are like me, you didn't kind of grow up in that tradition, you're like, I don't know exactly what that means. Guys, Palm Sunday is really just a, a celebration that historically the church has celebrated coming off the Lenten season, which really just introduces us to Holy Week, which is the last week of Jesus's life here on earth, culminating in Good Friday, which we're going to be celebrating next week, and then into Resurrection Sunday, which we're really excited about for next Sunday. But when we talk about Palm Sunday... All right, this does in fact mark the beginning of the last week of Jesus' human life here on earth. And if you are familiar with your Bible, you, you kind of know that as you go through the Gospels, all right, which is, are all about uh, Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they spend a great deal of time looking at this last week of Jesus' life. And the reason is, is because everything that Jesus has done and said up until this moment really isn't for preparation for what is to come in this last week. With the, with the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb of Jesus, everything he has been saying has been pointing to this moment. But if you take a, I just want to show you guys how, how significant this last week is as terms of like the gospel writers, okay? If you take like a 30,000 foot view of, of the gospels, all right, we see that there is a lot of emphasis on this last week of Jesus' life. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, two-fifths of all that Matthew talk about are devoted to this last week. When we come to the Gospel of Mark, three-fifths of Mark's Gospel is devoted to this final week. In the Gospel according to Luke, there's one-third that is devoted to this final week of Jesus' life. And when you come to the Gospel of John, half to a little bit over half of all of John's Gospel is devoted to this last week of Jesus' life. And so I say that to just to help us to understand the magnitude and the importance that the Gospel writers place on what is called Holy Week, beginning with Palm Sunday. And this is what we're starting today. But with Palm Sunday, guys, I want you to understand this, okay? This historical event is, a, is an event with great insight and great misunderstanding. Okay, so as you think about Palm Sunday, we need to know it's got great insight, but there's also a lot of great misunderstanding. That the great insight was that the historical man Jesus really is God. That he is the Messiah, he's the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, he's the long-awaited Savior, and he's really just the fulfillment of all the promises that God has made throughout human history. 
That's the great insight. But the great misunderstanding is that Jesus is king, but that he would enter Jerusalem by his mighty works and he would take his throne and he would make Israel free from Roman oppression. But again, if you know your Bible, you know that it didn't go down this way, that Jesus is a different kind of king, he's got a different kind of kingdom, and he's got a different purpose. Jesus is altogether different. And so Palm Sunday was a day of of great insight and a day of misunderstanding. The insight gave joy and the misunderstanding brought about destruction. Ultimately, the death of Jesus just a few days later, and then 40 years later, it was the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus saw all of this coming. And I'll tell you, what makes this text specifically relevant to us today is this. Because in a room like this, many people, many different backgrounds, many different traditions, there is both great insight and great misunderstanding among us today. And so my goal this morning is to simply just open up the Bible and hopefully deepen the great insight and to clear up some of the great misunderstandings so that we all leave here with a little bit more clarity, a little bit more conviction, a little bit more hope, a little bit more joy, a little bit more perspective. And we can do the work of of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where it talks about beholding the glory of God in the man Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's get into this. Mark chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1. And here's what we see. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, and I want you to underline this next part in your Bible, the Lord has need of it. Say, the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there were said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let him go. So here's what's happening, okay? To understand more fully what we just read, we really need to understand the storyline in the Bible. All right? And if I had to like just dumb down the storyline in the Bible and make it as simple as I could, I would say it like this is that Jesus Christ, who is God become man, called the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, came into human history to take for himself a bride called the church. All right, this is the storyline of the Bible. And so if you wanna remember the storyline of the Bible, just remember two words, kingdom and wedding. All right, kingdom and wedding. And what's so fascinating is when you think about this, we see this idea coming together here in, in Mark's gospel with the entrance of Jesus. You have the king of kings coming in to pursue his bride, which is the church. And I was thinking about this this week. If you think about it, we love, as people, we love kingdoms and weddings, right? I mean, this starts when, when we're young. And if you just think about it, you parents, you, you know this, like almost all the great kids' story, stories and fairy tales and movies that we tend to like, they involve kings and kingdoms and, and weddings, right? I mean, I think about this in, my, in terms of my own life, right? My little man, Titus, just turned seven yesterday, and he still thinks he's like a king and a prince. He likes to dress up, put a crown on, his cape, and just start slaying dragons so he can rescue his princess sister, Lily. He just loves it. 
He's drawn to this. And Lily, I mean, she's just like bedazzled, head to toe. Every glitter thing that we have in our house, it's everywhere because she just wants to look like a beautiful, shining princess. We love this stuff. It's kids. We, we are dreaming about kingdoms. We're dreaming about like weddings and all of these things. And even as we grow up past that, right? Hopefully, guys, you've grown past like being a king and all that stuff. But some of you, I know there's clubs here in Madison for that, but nothing wrong with that. But, but you know, we, we oftentimes like set our sights on something more, love, right? And we start thinking about the wedding day and everything that goes into it. We just love this stuff. Guys, here's what I'll say to you. The reason that humanity is drawn to this type of storylines is because this is an echo of the God who created us in his image. That we have a God who is the king of kings and he actually does have a kingdom And his story is that he came into human history to take for himself a bride, which is the church. And so we, intrinsically, because who we are and are made in his image, we long for this stuff. It's a picture of God and his plan. And if you've been to a wedding, guys, you know that real big moment that happens, right? It's like everybody's just kind of hanging out, sitting around, wondering when we're gonna eat and just blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, everyone gets real quiet. The excitement level raises, the, ex- the expectation raises, and all of a sudden the groom walks in, right? Everybody kind of turns, they're like, okay, this is getting serious. The show's about to start, we're about to go. And the groom comes walking down the aisle, he's got his guys with him, and everybody knows that the show's about to start, that something big's gonna happen. This is what's happening today in this account of Palm Sunday. We have King Jesus, where he moves from traveling around, doing all of his ministry of healing and teaching, to intentionally moving towards Jerusalem and the temple. And as he does this, guys, I want you to see this as King Jesus coming to get his bride, the church, which is you and me. And so this point, During this final journey, Jesus has been doing ministry in at least like 35 different locations, timing up this entry to Jerusalem at the perfect moment during Passover. And Passover was just like this big celebration which would draw hundreds and thousands of people to Jerusalem. It would happen every year, the population of Jerusalem, some scholars would estimate that upwards of three times the size of the population would come to there. But Jesus had just come back, or come, if you look back, from a town named Jericho. And Jericho was was fairly close to Jerusalem, and as he was walking, it started off with a few guys following him, but this entourage that was following Jesus just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, especially as two events happened in the vicinity of Jericho. That if you look back to Mark chapter 10, there was this huge moment with the healing and the salvation of two blind men. And then if we look at the counterpart of Luke's gospel account, to this, uh, the triumphal entry that we're looking at right now, in chapter 19 of Luke's gospel, he talks about this big event where the hated tax collector Zacchaeus received salvation. And so those two big events, mixed with like the raising of Lazarus from the dead, it just got people amped up. People are like, what is going on? What's gonna happen in Jerusalem? Like, the people are excited, they're walking towards Jerusalem with a lot of expectation, and as Jesus is walking, He does something kind of strange. He just stops and he's like, guys, you know what? In the midst of all this, here's what we really need. I need a donkey. I need a donkey to ride in on. Now, 
Guys, when we read the Bible, we have to ask questions, right? Because that's weird. Like, who would do that, right? It's like, give me a 10-speed. I need to go to the White House, right? It doesn't make any sense, right? But there is actually something so significant, something so interesting to be learned here. And the first is this, guys. As Jesus' disciples go look for a donkey for him, they see one tied up outside of a house, just like Jesus said, and they go and untie this donkey. There's people there that are looking at him, and they ask, what are you doing? And if you look back, they say, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Now, who is Jesus? He's the Lord. And this is so important. Because throughout the Bible, there are many titles for Jesus. Many different names given to Jesus. He's called teacher and rabbi and friend and shepherd. So many different names, so many different titles given to him. And what happens is that many people tend to pick one. And they like one really, really well. And then they focus on that one and they see Jesus strictly through that lens. And when we do this, it keeps us from actually understanding who Jesus actually is. And so for some of us, we read the Bible, we come to church, and we really like the idea that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And we say, well, Jesus is my friend, and we love that. But this is like the extent of our understanding of who Jesus is. He's my friend. And we end up thinking, do you remember like Buddy Jesus from back in the day? You know, the bobblehead Jesus, and it was like, hey, you remember that? No? Well, that's how we end up picturing Jesus. He's like a bobblehead that's really funny and friendly, and this is my Jesus, he's my friend, he loves me. But we don't think of him as the Lord, we don't think of him as God, but he is. He's friend, but he's also Lord. Some of us think about Jesus as kind of like a great teacher, and that's how you relate to him. That he's a, he's a great moral example for you to study and learn from and pattern your life after, but you you miss the fact that he's also Lord and he's king. Others of you, maybe you see Jesus as kind of like a great healer, as someone who like loved poor people and sick people and really helped them, and you see him primarily through this lens, and so what you do is you have patterned your life and you become very philanthropic, and you love to help and you love to serve, but you miss the true identity of Jesus, that he is that, but he's way more. Just hear me on this, guys. The shortest declaration of what we believe about Jesus here at Doxa as Christians is this. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And chances are, if you've been around the church, been around Christianity, you've said that. You've sang it in songs. You've heard other people say that, but I'll ask you this. And this is gonna poke its head behind like the Christian facade that we oftentimes wear. What does it actually mean that Jesus Christ is Lord? How would you answer that? It's true, but what does it actually mean? I wanna give you four things about Jesus being Lord. The first one is this. Jesus is Lord means that he is the only one that we worship. And to worship means to, to ascribe worth to. It means to submit your life to something. It means to have something on the throne of your heart. And guys, if you don't know this about the world that we're living in, we live in a world that is constantly trying to put things on the throne of your heart. It is. It's your title. It's your salary. It's your marriage. It's your kids. It's your friends. It's your staff. It's whatever. 
It's constantly trying to put things on the throne of your heart. That becomes the thing that we effectively worship. But if Jesus is Lord, he is the one that we ascribe ultimately unsurpassing value to, and he sits on the throne of our heart, and everything goes around that. And I'll be honest with you guys, this is a temptation for me all the time. I mean, how many of you, there has been so many good things that you have given your life to, that sometimes you kind of put Jesus on the back burner because of this really good thing. This is not how we live in light of Jesus being Lord. Jesus is always on the throne. He's always in the center. He's always got first place. And everything else is secondary. And so you might have given your life to something good, but I would ask you if you've given your life to the best thing. And that's Jesus. Secondarily, Jesus is Lord means that he is the primary one that we follow. And so this means that we look to Jesus. As we think about the men and women that we wanna be, we look to Jesus and we look at his words, his works, and his ways that we see throughout the Gospels. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important to be in your Bible. We talk about this all the time, how we wanna be a Bible-saturated church, that if you prick us, we bleed Bible. Right? And it's not because we want to be nerdy Christians, right? And if you're a nerdy Christian, that's fine. There's room for you here. I love you. But that's, I don't, whatever. It's not that. It's that we want to be like Jesus. We just want to be like Jesus. We don't want to get wrapped up in church life. We don't want to get wrapped up in religion. We just want to look at how Jesus spoke and how Jesus loved and how Jesus lived. And we pattern our life after him. We see the way that he interacted with people and how he gave. We look to Jesus and then pattern our life after him. And so we see Jesus throughout the scripture and he's caring for poor people. And so this informs the way that we live our lives here in this city. We don't see people as just scenery or machinery, but we actually get engaged with them and try to help them and alleviate some of their pain and their suffering because this is what Jesus did. We see how Jesus gave generously. He gave everything, even his life. And so that informs the way that we view all the gifts that God gives us, our money and our talents and our time. And we say, I want to give like Jesus. Jesus wasn't a lame sacrifice, so I'm not going to give a lame sacrifice. And we give generously. Jesus obeyed the Father. You remember reading this in the scriptures? He said, I only do what I see my Father do. And even like what we're talking about next week with Easter Sunday, we're going to see a bunch of people get baptized. Jesus was like, he not only said that we should get baptized, but then he went and got baptized himself. And so I would say to you, if you've come to Jesus and you haven't been baptized and you're kind of fighting him on that, because you're just not like living as Jesus is Lord. It's the easiest thing he's ever asked us to do. But we do it because he did it and said it. We watch Jesus forgive his enemies on the cross. Do you remember this? The people that were killing him. He says, Father, forgive them. And so we try to be forgiving people by the love of Jesus. We do all this stuff because Jesus did it and Jesus is Lord. Number three, Jesus is Lord means that his words are the most important. And you know, this moment in history, perhaps more than any moment in human history, there is more information that is just inundating us. So much information, so many words, so many blogs, so many podcasts, so many things from all these people. If you want to be an expert on something, guys, just spend 10 bucks on Squarespace, make yourself a website, put some letters next to your name, and people will listen to you. 
There is so much information, so many words that are being told to us today. And there's so many people in so many books that claim to have the answers that give life. But I want you to know, if Jesus is Lord, sure, we can listen to other people and the things that they say, but we primarily go to Jesus and listen to his words to receive life and truth. And this is a fight. Like we don't like to be submitted to authority. We, don't, we have, all have authority issues, right? This starts when we're a kid, right? Your parents, right, you tell your kids no and they just, they're like, if they could give you the middle finger at that moment, they would do it, right? But we all get our sense of truth from somewhere. And so if you would say, like, maybe you're like, you don't like listening to Jesus, you don't like listening to the word of God, and you just, I would just ask you, where do you get your truth from? And I've talked about this in Foundations, because we get our truth from one of three places, every single one of us. Some of us, we get it internally, where we effectively say, I'm gonna decide what's right and wrong. I'm gonna decide what's true and false. I'm gonna decide what's good and bad, and we really just kinda make ourselves our own functional God. And we say, I know everything, I'm gonna make my own truth. Many of us, if you're anything like me, you're not smart enough and confident enough to do that. And so you're not gonna look internally, but you're gonna look externally. And so I'm gonna look at politicians, and I'm gonna look at my professors and my parents, and I'm gonna look at where the crowd is going. Don't look at politicians, look anywhere else, don't look there, okay? But you're gonna look at where the crowd is going. And where a lot of people are going, you're like, that must be true. And so you look externally. Guys, as Christians, what we do is we don't look internally, we don't look externally, but we look eternally. And we simply stand under the word of God as God's words to us. And we just humbly follow him. And those times, guys, if you haven't been at this time, like there's times where you're reading this and you're like, I don't really like that. I got a different way. I got a better way. It's those times that we remind ourselves of the words in Isaiah 55 where God says, hey, we all have thoughts and ways. And God says, you have thoughts and ways, but my thoughts and ways are actually higher and better than your thoughts and ways. And we just simply submit under the authority of God because he's good and he's king and he's got a better plan. And then fourth, Jesus is Lord means that he is the only one we trust for salvation. And I wanna explain this. For those of you who are Christians, I know you hear this and you might be like, oh yeah, because this is so important. Jesus is the only way to God. And I know that especially in a place like Madison, this is wildly offensive. What we're gonna celebrate next week with the resurrection is gonna vindicate and validate that statement. And so even if you're mad at me for saying that, I would beg you to come back and let's just talk about that next week. It changes everything through the resurrection. But Jesus is actually the only way to God. He's the only way to relationship with God to escape the reality of hell, which is just eternal separation from God. And this is the gospel is that God created all of us. He created all of humanity. And it was perfect, it was peaceful, it was shalom. We were in relationship with him. First of humanity, we're in this garden, 
And God effectively said, I'm gonna give you one rule, don't kill yourself. They couldn't do it. They disobeyed God, sin came into the world, and sin is just anything that God is not, and sin separates. It separates us from each other. You feel that with pain and strain in relationships, but it also separates us from God. And this is where we exist without Jesus, separated from God. And I know in the moment, at times, like I lived 20-some years of my life not even caring about this, and in the moment, it might not seem like a big deal, but eternally, this is a massive deal. Because if this, this separation continues through this life, into the grave, into eternal life, this is where you get into eternal separation, which is just the reality of hell. But God, in the perfect moment, in the fulfillment of prophecy, steps into human history as the man Jesus Christ. And he lives, and he dies, and he raises for our sin and our justification. That when we come to him, Jesus takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness, and brings us back to the Father. Because this is the gospel. And if you've been around Doxa, we talk about this all the time. We sing about this all the time. And I'm not gonna stop. As long as I have a place on this stage, I'm gonna keep talking about the gospel because this is the most important thing. We can get wrapped up in all the church stuff. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He is all, he's everything, guys. Don't get confused by the lights and the lasers or anything like that. It is Jesus. It's always going back to the gospel, and this is so incredibly important because Jesus steps into history and he declares himself to be God, and you will hear people tell you, and some of you have been told this, that Jesus actually never presented himself to be God. And people will make the statements and they will argue, and they will say, Jesus actually never said he was God, that was something that his followers said because they really wanted him to be something that he was not because it gave him purpose and, and direction in life. But I want you to know, guys, if you've heard that, if you said that, it's just simply not true. And I say that respectfully, but you just need to know the truth. In fact, Jesus was killed for doing this. And he said he was God in two primary ways. One, he said it, but then he, secondarily, he showed it. And on this occasion, on the first Palm Sunday, we're looking at Jesus and he says, I am the Lord, and then he shows it by saying, go get me a donkey. Now, let me just talk about that, because maybe you're like, you lost me on the donkey part, okay? But, because this is significant, all right? Because again, throughout the Bible, there have been hundreds of prophecies. Prophecies given around the Messiah coming, Jesus, before he was even come on the scene as a human, and I just want to show you a few of these that relate to this account. Okay, first, I think this is going to come up here on the screen. There was this man named Zechariah. All right, and Zechariah, he had this prophecy. And a prophecy, if you're newer to church, is really just God foretelling the future. It's God making promises and then fulfilling those. And so if you read through the Bible, you'll see the two threads that hold together the Bible are promise and fulfillment. God making promises of future things to come and then human history recording it through the man Jesus Christ. And so he makes a promise and this is what Zechariah says. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Where's Jesus going? Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What is Jesus on? A donkey. Because this prophecy was given hundreds of years before Jesus entered into human history. 
and gave people hope as they waited for a king to come and rescue them. And God said to his people through Zechariah, you will know when your king has come, you will know when salvation is coming because he will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so Jesus says, I am the Lord. He says it emphatically and clear, but then he shows I am the Lord by entering into Jerusalem on a donkey in the perfect fulfillment of God's promise. Now, in addition to this, okay, I want you to look at this. This is so interesting. This scene of Palm Sunday actually points to the prophecy given by Jacob to the nation of Judah in in Genesis chapter 49. All right, it's gonna come up here on the screen. But this is what it says. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he was washed... He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. So hear me on this. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, wants us to see the connections here. By riding a donkey, he fulfilled not only Zechariah 9.9, but Jacob's prophecy to the nation of Judah. And even more, if you were here for our study through the book of Daniel, Do you remember Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks? Do you remember that? I mean, Daniel was crazy, so maybe not. But Daniel, the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Guys, I want you to know the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem was the precise, precise date that Daniel prophesied that he would centuries earlier. And if you just think about this, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. I mean, here's the point. Guys, God is in control. He's completely in control, even in the control of the details. And this Palm Sunday should fill us with wonder and awe. I mean, to the date, God promised that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem in this way, on this moment, and it happened. And so I just want to remind you today that God is completely in control, and that should bring you great comfort when you feel out of control in your life. Amen? Because if you're anything like me, life can just kick you in the face and it just seems like you're completely out of control. But this is so important to look back and to remind ourselves that God is never out of control. That things might be over my head, but they're still under his feet. And we can take comfort in this. But as all this was happening, the people who were seeing this go down, they're standing there, they're watching Jesus. Just picture the scene. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people are like, wait, who is that? That's Jesus. What is he riding? It's a donkey. Oh my gosh. It's that day. These people are starting to connect the dots. They're like, it's that day. It's the day that we've been waiting for. The king has come. He's come for his bride. I mean, do you kind of feel this is like the beginning of the wedding, right? Everything's getting amped up and people are like, the show's about to start. This is what's going down here. The king has arrived in Jerusalem for his bride. And for you right now, I need you to know that Jesus is here and he's presenting himself to you as king, Lord, and savior. The big idea is that Jesus is king and he has come for you. He loves you. Let's keep going, verse seven. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it, and, maybe, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who were following or followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Blesses the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus got a donkey. He rides into Jerusalem on it. He shows himself to be God among the people. And we see something kind of strange happen, okay? This was a baseline donkey model. Didn't come out with all the bells and whistles. He needed a seat, Right? And so these people, they're like, Jesus needs leather. And so they put on their cloaks on top of the donkey so that Jesus can sit on it. Now, again, what's that about? Right? Because then they start laying their cloaks on the ground. Stop and ask the question. We just had to say, what is that about? Because we can quickly read past this, but this is actually very, very significant. Because in these days, guys, your cloak was very important. It was a very important item for you to have. Most people only had one cloak. It was really expensive. It was kind of like a big parka that would protect you from the elements, but also would kind of double as like a sleeping bag to protect you at night as you slept. And so your cloak was really, really important. You needed it. But what we see of these people is they take off their cloak, this valued possession, and not only made it a seat for Jesus, but then laid them on the road as a symbol of honor and worship for Jesus their king. All right, this is literally like the first century rolling out the red carpet. This is what they were doing. They were honoring Jesus. And this text, as we're reading it, it seems like these people cared very little about their prized possession. They didn't care about their cloaks. They cared about worshiping Jesus and letting everyone see how important he was. And guys, this begs us to answer a question. Do we have that posture towards Jesus and people? These disciples, they, they loved Jesus and they loved people. The two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. And this is what we're all about here at Doxets, Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. But they loved Jesus and they loved people and they gave generously of what they had to honor Jesus with the hopes that other people would see how great Jesus was. This is why they're doing this. They're having this party because they love Jesus and they're like, we want to make this a big deal so everybody sees how great Jesus is because everybody needs him. This is what's happening. And so let me just ask you guys, do you have that mindset? Talk about this in connection group this week. You just ask yourself, do I love Jesus in people like that? Like, do I live in a way that like leads to generosity so that people can meet Jesus? Just think about it. I mean, what do you treasure Like, what's most important to you? And I'll ask you, would you throw it to the ground to honor Jesus with the hopes that people would meet Jesus? Would you do that? It's a question to ask. The disciples here said yes. He's my Lord. And as I think about this, guys, what happened here on this first Palm Sunday, I'm struck by the thought that these, these people, they didn't care about their cloaks. You know what I mean? They're like, scholars estimate that there could have been a couple hundred thousand people in this thing. So as they're throwing down their cloaks, like at the very least, they're like probably not gonna get them back or if they do, the donkey probably defecated on it and they don't want it back anyway. And so they, but it's just interesting. They don't care about their stuff. They care about praising Jesus. Jesus is like number one in their life. Guys, they just didn't care about what they gave up. They cared about what they would receive through Jesus. 
And so there's these multitude of people there. They're throwing down their coats. They're praising Jesus as he rides into town. Now look back at verse 9. Look what they're yelling. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And again, if we do like a little bit of historical digging here, what they're doing is they're quoting a song. It's Psalm 118 that they're singing. And historically, when a king would go out and wage war against an enemy and then come back victoriously as they would ride into town, people would gather in the streets and they would sing this song. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They they would honor the king that's victorious. Because I want you to know this is what Jesus is ultimately doing right now. He's riding into Jerusalem and he's going to conquer Satan, sin, death, and hell and deliver his people. And they are rejoicing. And even more, when we see this account in John's gospel, we see that people are raising palm branches and singing while they're doing this. Hence, Palm Sunday that this was a symbol of triumph in Greco-Roman culture. And they're waving all of these palm branches, showing that Jesus has victory, that what he's gonna accomplish at the cross and through the resurrection in just a few days. And at the end of the Bible, we even get this picture, I think in Revelation chapter seven, where every tongue, nation, and tribe of people is waving palm branches in victorious celebration to Jesus. And they're yelling out, Hosanna, Because I want to tell you that that word Hosanna literally means save now. Save us now. So hear me on this. These people were actually right. Jesus is the victorious king and savior. But they misunderstood their greatest enemy that they needed saved from. See, these people... They saw Jesus as king, but they thought that he was coming in to conquer Rome. They saw their biggest enemy as Rome, and they said, Jesus is going to come in, and he's going to save us from Rome. But what they didn't understand is that Rome wasn't their greatest enemy, that Jesus didn't come to deliver them from Rome, but to deliver them from sin and death. And you need to know that today, this is true of every single person in this world. And I know that we're all here for something. Some of you are here because you love Jesus and you're with God's people and you're singing praises to him. Others of you, you're here because you feel like your life is missing something. This was me like 15, 16 years ago. And I would just encourage you to keep coming. You're gonna meet Jesus and you're gonna find what you're missing. Others of you are here because you've believed like the false gospel of the the prosperity gospel preachers that says when you come to Jesus, he's gonna make you happy and healthy and wealthy. And so you're here to receive something because you're like, if I come to church and I come to Jesus, maybe I'm gonna have a better life and get better stuff. I just want you to know that that's not true. You shouldn't expect better than Jesus. Jesus was poor and homeless and got killed. But what Jesus can do for you is he can take your sin. And he can save your life and he can give you eternity in glory. And more important than anything is that you figure that out here and now. God loves you. No matter where you're at, he loves you. Jesus came to save you from your sin. This is the great insight of Palm Sunday that you are loved by God, that Jesus is in fact king, and he has come for you. And if you are with Jesus in faith, 
you have his victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell. But if you have not come to Jesus, I love you enough to tell you that you don't have that victory. You're still waiting for it. But God in his sovereignty has brought you here so you could see him and receive him. And so if I can encourage you, if you're in that camp, if you're here today and that's you, guys, stop waiting and see your king. This is what Palm Sunday is all about. Jesus wants to be your victory. No matter where you're at, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what your background, there's room for you in the family of God because Jesus made a way, and there's room for you in Doxa because it's always about Jesus. Come to him. Now here's how I want to close. Go forward to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, Luke gives a little bit more detail to this triumphal entry account that Mark doesn't. And it's exceedingly important. But in Luke 19, beginning in verse 41, here is what we see. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, if you have your Bible open, circle this, he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had known on this day that you would bring, that what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Here's what's going on. God has come to these people as the man Jesus Christ, and some people close their eyes, spiritually speaking, and said, we don't see him. And Jesus looks at these people and he literally weeps over the city and all the people who have closed their eyes to Jesus and refuse to let him be their victory. And guys, this is so interesting. To my best knowledge, Jesus only cries twice in the scriptures. He cries once in John chapter 11, verse 35, when Lazarus dies. And do you remember this? It literally just says, Jesus wept. So if you're trying to memorize scripture, that's a good verse for you to start with, okay? Two words, Jesus wept. Good job, you're on your way. So he cries there. And the second time is here, when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He cries twice. But here's the point. I don't know if you guys are criers. There's this thing of like, you know, don't cry, be strong. Here's what I'll tell you. If we have the Spirit of God, the things that break God's heart and cause God to cry should make us cry. And in this moment, Jesus is looking at a multitude of people that he loves, that he's gonna die for. And these people just close their eyes to him. And he literally weeps. If you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. And Christian, that should be your heart. It's not the building, it's not the band, it's this gospel that saves people from sin, death, and hell. And it should cause us to love people like Jesus loved and to pray for people like Jesus prayed for because everybody needs Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus today, please, for your sake, for your eternity, come to Jesus. 
everything I could say, come to Jesus. We all have two options today. The king has ridden into our lives and we can either just close our eyes to him and reject him or open up our eyes to him and receive him. I pray that you come to Jesus. And you don't, if, you, if that's what you're here for, you don't have to Google like, how do I do that? Guys, it's you just sitting there, literally just being like, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that there is sin in my life that is keeping me from God. I'm asking Jesus to take my sin and give me his righteousness and I'm committing to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. If you're saying yes to that, Jesus is in fact your king, his victory is yours and you have great reason to celebrate today. So we all need Jesus. The king has come and we rejoice in that. Let me pray. So Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I think about you in this moment, like just riding into Jerusalem to save people that you love. And I think about how you did that in my life, and it makes me think about Romans chapter five, verse eight. Oh Jesus, like while I was still sinning, you died for me. I don't understand that kind of love, but I thank you for it. And so God, would you just help us, for those of us that are here, that you are the Lord of our life, that we do have the victory that you have won through your cross and your resurrection. Would you just give us like a fresh revelation of the gospel today? Help us to see you. Convict us of where we're not living our lives as your Lord. Give us a heart that sees people and loves people. And God, for those people who are here that they don't, haven't opened their eyes to see who you actually are as our Savior King, it's only you that is gonna break in. There is not gonna be a sermon or a teaching or a podcast that's gonna change someone's life. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would just do it. We love you. Would you help us to just behold your glory as our risen king? In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, we're gonna, we're gonna sing